1: it was 50 years ago tomorrow night yeah 50 years ago around here was quite a week the immaculate reception and then 50 years ago tomorrow night roberto Clemente died i thought today would be a good day to replay one of the first shows i ever did here on 1250 the answer back in july 2018 when you hear it you'll know why but you know what? You never know what to expect here on the John Stockerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. And today there's going to be no football talk. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about Roberto Clemente. And it's because of what happened 62 years ago today. I know exactly where I was. Well, I, I can tell you where I was almost to the minute. I was sitting at home waiting for my dad to get home from work because we were going to the Pirate game that night. I was seven years old. And we went to Forbes Field. Games back then started at 8.05, believe it or not. And they were over by 10.15, 10.20. And you, a school kid could be home and in bed by 11 o'clock uh, going to an 8 o'clock game. Try to picture that now. So here's what happened. They're playing the Cubs. Both teams were bad. They both were, had bad records under five hundred. Probably 8,000 people in the, at Forbes Field. And the Pirates uh, fall behind 8-5. And it's the bottom of the ninth inning. And the bases are loaded. Jim Brosnan is the pitcher. He later became a, um, uh, an author. Roberto Clemente is up. He hits one into the gap in left center field or out towards center field. Gets over somebody's head out there. Clemente comes around second, heads for third. Bobby Bragan is the manager, but he's also the third base coach. He gives Clemente the stop sign. Hold up. We've tied the game. You're going to be on third. Clemente just keeps on going. He slides. He scores. And meanwhile, before all this happened, now my dad, had uh, his company had season tickets on the third base line, upper deck, right on third base, front row, hanging over the edge there. Great seats. But he had it down to a science that uh, when, you, when the game got late, especially if the Pirates were behind and it looked like it was going to be over, uh, he would head down to the exit somewhere on a lower level. And we'd stand near the exit and watch the last couple outs, and, and when he had it, he, was, he, he prided himself in being able to beat the traffic. So he wanted to get out the exit. So I was actually standing with my dad down behind home plate at Forbes Field, very close to home plate. Clemente slides in. The umpire signals safe. I can still see the catcher who I looked up later. I didn't remember this, but his name was Hobie Landreth. He stood up. He gets in the umpire's face, and they argue. Clemente's safe. It was an inside the park Grand Slam home run to win the game. Now that is actually that was a walk off Grand Slam home run. There have been twenty eight of those in the history of Major League Baseball. Now what to, to be at Ultimate Grand Slam, you have to be behind by three and you have to be at home because you have to have the last bat, and you have to walk off, and you have to win by one run. So your grand slam wins the game. So the Pirates win the game nine to eight. They had been behind 8-5, to five, so it qualifies as an ultimate Grand Slam. Now, uh, the big difference here is that Clemeni's was an inside-the-park ultimate Grand Slam. Now, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of Major League Baseball games have been played since the Major Leagues came into existence, and I forget when that was, but it's over well over 100 years ago. Think of uh, thousands and thousands of games. Never... Before Clemente did that, and never since, in the history of baseball, has anybody won a game with an inside-the-park Grand Slam home run that won the game for, him for one by one run and ended the game instantly? Never. Now, it's been 62 years since Clemente did it. Nobody's done it since. There have been a total of 28 now Ultimate Grand Slams. But of those, one was an inside-the-park. And here's the other interesting thing for me. Uh, that When Clemente did it, it was, it was the eighth time in Major League Baseball history that somebody had won a game like that with a, a Grand Slam home run to win by one run in the bottom of the last inning. Well, the seventh guy to do it was a guy named Danny Kravitz. He was the Pirates' backup catcher that year. And he had done it in May. So it had been done six times in the history of baseball, and then it was done twice in a period of two months uh, in in, uh, in Pittsburgh at Forbes Field. I also saw Danny Kravitz do it uh, two months earlier. So big deal to me. So the, uh, that, uh, that's why I'm talking about Roberto Clemente today. It's the anniversary of that. They don't make enough of, uh, of a big deal about it. It should be mentioned every year. There should be something flashed on the scoreboard at PNC Park. It should be talked about on the broadcast. I don't know if they did today on the telecast. But it's a big deal. I mean, it's it's the only time it has ever happened in the history of baseball. Roberto Clemente did it. So when we come back, we're going to talk to a guy who was a close friend of Clemente's. And you're going to hear some things you probably haven't heard about Clemente before. And we're going to talk about the movement, which I think is a big deal and should be done. The movement to have Major League Baseball retire the number 21. Stick around.
0: Letting nothing stand in his way. That's the way he lived
2: his life. Until that
0: final day. The John Steigerwall show, AM 1250, the answer.
1: Luis Meyeral is a baseball guy. I don't know a better way to describe him. He's been in the game for 50 years and has had so many jobs. I don't know how to describe him any better than that. Well, I guess we'll get some specifics in a minute. I met him 30 years ago when he was nice enough to be my I guess he was my guide in uh, Puerto Rico when I went there to do a story on Roberto Clemente for the Pirates pregame show. He and Roberto Clemente were close friends, and uh, Luis is on the line right
3: now. Hola, Luis. How are you? Saludos. Hello, dear friend John, and my respects to you and to your audience on The Answer. Uh,
1: Yes, uh, sir. So where, where are you and what are you doing now?
3: Well, basically, I've been in the outskirts of Dallas, Texas for 26 years. I worked for the Rangers for almost a decade, and then I've been around the game 50 years, like you say, in many capacities, and right now, if I were to make a quick description of my life in the game, a baseball man who has turned historian, but at the same time, I've been doing uh, radio, uh, uh, written a lot of articles, give chats and conferences here and there, and I'm just a happy dude living here in Texas.
1: <laughs> and you are, you are a historian. When, when did you be, meet Roberto Clemente, and how well did you know him?
3: I knew him fairly well. I knew him fairly well. The first time I saw him in person, I was just a kid vacationing in Puerto Rico with my parents because we were living in the Panama Canal Zone. And uh, I saw him at a baseball clinic uh, right after 1961 season. That was his first hitting championship. And uh, I didn't talk to him because I was kind of like afraid, but that's when I first got close to him. But a few years down the road, my friendships with Howie Haig, the pirate super scout in Latin America, and Frank Coimbre, a scout in Puerto Rico who was Roberto's mentor. By way of them, I got to meet Roberto in person in 1965.
1: Howie Hake was one of those great baseball characters uh, with the tobacco. He would spit it on your shoes or, you know, you had to stay, stand clear of him. He was spitting tobacco all over the place. And he, he discovered a lot of players for the Pirates. I, I got to know him when he was here. Um, and you're from Puerto Rico and, and still maintain strong contacts there. I guess you still do radio and everything down there. So tell the people in Pittsburgh uh, how big of a deal Roberto Clemente is still down there now.
3: Roberto is a force that unites. Puerto Rico has been divided historically by uh, reasons of politics, religion, racial situations. But when it comes to Roberto Clemente, everyone is behind the man who many, after his untimely death, have classified as an outstanding humanitarian and an inspiration to the needy, a guy who really cared for the people who suffer, the people who struggle, those are the people Roberto Clemente identified with.
1: Uh, there was a movement to have his number 21 retired by Major League Baseball, uh, the same as Jackie Robinson's is. Nobody in baseball wears number 42. They all wear number 42 on Jackie Robinson Day in baseball. Uh, I was very much behind that idea. I think most people in Pittsburgh would be. And uh, at the risk of sounding provincial, I, I don't think that's the reason because... Um, uh, I just think it's, well, I'll let you talk about it, but wh- where where is that movement now, to have Roberto Clemente's number retired, baseball-wide? Okay, there's wide? a
3: gentleman, right, there's a gentleman in New York who I respect. Uh, he came up with the idea maybe a good 18 years ago, and he asked me for an opinion, and as bald as I am, that's how sincere I am, and you've known me for a long time. I told him the best way to do it is, Go directly to the commissioner's office. Forget the pirates, this and that. But do it by way of someone in Congress. And why did I tell him that? Because baseball is the only business except from monopoly laws. So if something is requested of MLB by way of Congress, to me that's an easy, an easy thing to do. But he has uh, hung in there trying to do it by himself, and that really has not progressed. However, there is a main force, and out of respect, I won't mention who it is, but there is a main force who has consistently been against number 21 being retired.
1: Well, what do you think the prospects are, Luis, of it happening?
3: Well, the prospects are great. If if, uh, the entity in charge or the gentleman who came up with a great idea does it the way I suggested. I mean, he can do it any way he wants to, but he has seen that what I told him 18 years ago is correct. If you go on your own, you're not going to accomplish it. If a congressman from New York or whoever or wherever suggests that to MLB, MLB, I'm pretty sure will change their mentality as to retiring Roberto's number 21. I traveled the baseball world internationally for so many years, and anywhere I go, be it in this hemisphere, be it in the Far East. The name Roberto Clemente is very well respected and is a point of reference when it comes to individuals who have experimented the supreme sacrifice in benefit of, for example, the earthquake victim in Nicaragua in 1972.
1: Now, back in 1972, just a few months before he died, my friend Sam Nover uh, used to work at Channel 11, and uh, I've known for a long time. He, he did a sit-down, a one-on-one interview with Clemente just months before he died. Last one he, he did, I think, before he died in the plane crash on New Year's Eve. And Sam asked Clemente why he wasn't more like Muhammad Ali and Joe Namath, who at the time were huge, big deals, um, at, back in the early 70s. And they were they were really good at promoting themselves. So I want to get your reaction, Luis, to this answer from Clemente. Play that, Aaron.
2: I cannot be like that. I, I, I got a rest. I, I had to rest as much as I can, and uh, I think that, that to me is a, a little different story because I think that I belong to the minority group. I am Puerto Rican, I am black, and I have am uh, between the walls. So anything that I do, first, I, re, I will be reflected on me because I am black, and second, I will be reflected on me because I am Puerto Rican. But with this one, I tell you that to me uh I always respect everybody and thanks to God when I grew up uh I was raised uh i was I was raised, and when I, my mother and father never told me to hate anyone or they never told me to dislike anybody because of that race or color. We never talk about that as a matter of fact i I started listening to this stuff when I came to this state, so to me, I would say that the... This is something that uh, I love everybody, and uh, and I have to be very careful what I do because wh- who I am.
1: So who I am, who did he think he was? Uh, what did he mean by
3: that? In essence, to begin with, he was proud that he was born to be a ball player, and he wanted to be an example for every fan that followed him, but more importantly, for the youth, in the States, in Puerto Rico, and elsewhere. He took life seriously. And of the thousands of ballplayers from Latin America, African Americans, from the Far East, from the USA, that I have dealt with, and I don't say this based on our friendship, the gentleman with the philosophy closest to God's philosophy of love among human beings was Roberto Clemente. I had never pretended to canonize him, because I've been criticized for speaking so well of him. But Roberto Clemente was genuine. He respected himself. He respected humanity. And that's who he thought he was. I mean, he knew he was good. He took pride in that. But his feeling that he was good was never intended to demean any human being, be it a garbage collector, a taxi driver, or lawyer, or a doctor. That was a Roberto Clemente I knew.
1: And he said during that interview that those are the people that he was most attracted to. That's who he wanted to. That's who he liked being around. Um, would it be fair, Luis, to say that uh, the Clemente is the Jackie Robinson of Latin American players? Uh, you know, he's black, but he's also Latin. He talked in this interview with Sam about uh, not being able to get off the bus to go into the restaurants with the white players, and they the white players offered to bring him food out, and he, he threatened to fight the guy if he brought the food out of the restaurant and gave it to him. He said, if I can't go in there, I'm not giving him my business. And eventually, they, uh, he, he asked for and got a station wagon for the black players to ride around in so that they could go to restaurants where they know, knew they could be served. So was he, is he the Jackie Robinson of Latin American players?
3: Without knowing it, I believe he was. Without him knowing it. I recall shortly after his death, Roger Kahn, a great author who wrote The Boys of Summer way back in the 70s.
1: Great baseball
3: book. he, He visited with me in Puerto Rico for like three or four days. And out of the blue, we're in a brand new little Volkswagen I had. We're driving around the island. And I recall very clearly, I told him, you know something? He is Jackie Robinson as two Latinos in the game. Now... Roberto knew of the social problems in the States and elsewhere. But the Roberto I knew never spoke like he said that he hated people. On the contrary, I think that if someone insulted him, it could have hurt him. But he'd come over to that person with niceness, with peace of mind, and tried to explain to those people because we spoke about it. And here was were his words many years ago. We are all made of blood bones and flesh and more importantly we breathe the same air. That was the Roberto Clemente I knew when it it came to racial situations. He did admire Martin Luther King. They were friends. They were friends. And I recall April 4th 1968 when Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis Roberto led a movement I can't say that all over baseball, but at least to the Pirates, that there should be a day or two off because that assassination really hurt America and it hurt mankind and they were close. A lot of people don't know that and I say that many times in chats and conferences, personal conversations, and people still doubt that. But now that you mention Sam Nover, there is Sam Nover talking to him To Roberto about his friend Martin Luther King.
1: Yeah, and uh, they did. um, I think they canceled the game. I don't know if it was the next day or some at some point right around the assassination because of Clemente. I don't know that it was um, league wide, but the Pirates did not play
3: because of that. Is correct. That is correct. That is correct.
1: So, what kind of a guy was he? You know, uh, what what did you guys talk about when you weren't talking about baseball with Roberto Clemente?
3: Well well this is this is a rare thing as to our relationship. I mean I've been a baseball man all my life. He was a superstar, but above all I didn't look at him as a superstar. He was my friend that by an act of God we got along very well. We spoke about the world, we spoke about politics, we spoke about the people who suffer. Very few times did we really go into the game of baseball, but I do remember once it, the balcony of his home in Rio Piedras that he explained to me physically he had a great arm, but he took advantage of that great arm by, uh, by what I'm going to tell you right now. He said that when he, bought, when he caught a fly ball or people on base who could advance, he caught the ball the highest possible as to his body. Not a basket catch. Yep. And at the same time, he would not bring the glove and the ball down to the level of his belly. He would grab the ball from the glove, his arm straight up in the air, and with the power of his arm, he eliminated a step or two before getting rid of the ball. And that's why the great arm he had, because of what he did, became such a bazooka throwing (laughs) out runners.
1: Well, uh, Luis, I'm going to do something I haven't done with anybody on this show yet. I'm going to keep you through the break, if you don't mind. going to keep this conversation going.
3: Not at all. Up. Not at all. all I right. it's an honor. I have great, fun memories of Pittsburgh. Right back with Luis
1: Meirau. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Roberto Clemente. And Luis is a baseball man. Would that be hombre de baseball?
3: hombre de baseball. hombre de baseball.
0: Have the pride, the poise, and the grace of Roberto Clemente.
1: Well, if you're just tuning in, this is an encore presentation from way back in July of 2018. It's an interview I did with Luis Mayoral, a biographer and a close friend of Roberto Clemente, who was killed in that plane crash 50 years ago tomorrow night. Luis, he was not a... Clemente was not a big fan of the baseball writers, was he?
3: Not really, because he felt, and he knew why, He was misunderstood. When you come from a culture away from mainstream USA, people at times have difficulties accepting you the way God made you. And what bothered Roberto is that he was misquoted at times. Phonetically, they, they, they made fun of how he spoke English. But, you know, the fact that you don't know a language well, a new language, does not make you arrogant or stupid. Roberto was a bright, young individual who, instead of signing with the Pirates in the 50s, he had a scholarship to attend the College of Engineering University of Puerto Rico. But he loved the game so much that he became a ball player. And like Joe Brown, the former GM who passed away in Albuquerque, in New Mexico, a few years ago, told me, had Roberto wanted to be a lawyer, an engineer, he would have been good in those uh, professions, as good as he was in baseball. So Roberto was no dodo. Roberto was a bright, bright, open-minded individual.
1: I never understood how media would make fun of guys from, uh, from well, mostly it was Latin players back then. Uh, first of all, these guys couldn't order a sandwich in, in Puerto Rico if they had to or if they had to speak in another language. And this guy was speaking a second language and being willing to uh, be interviewed on television and everything, and speaking a second language. And uh, uh, Luis, you're speaking a second language right now, correct? I mean, your your original language was Spanish, and you, you barely have right. an accent. So,
3: well, the, the, the thing with me, I was, I was looking, my dad was uh, an officer in the U.S. Army for 23 years. So I grew up from, and I say it humbly, two well-off financially speaking families on the island But I grew up in Puerto Rico, Panama, and Seattle, Washington, so I had that Uh, blessing in my life. mm -hmm. I had the blessing in my life. And even though I'm 72, I speak, I write English, but like you say, Spanish is my main language, but I do have an accent. And like I tell people, Roberto would have told them nicely too. Don't look at me funny if I (laughs) speak your language with an accent. That's a god... The way got As know. I
1: said, those people couldn't get themselves to the men's room in a, in, in another country. So, uh, right, I, I he didn't get the Clemente didn't get the recognition he deserved really until after the seventy one World Series. Do you remember going into that series? Was he aware that this was his opportunity to finally, because he had a ridiculous uh, seven game series that he that he played. He got hit in every game. Did was he aware going into that series of? of what it would mean to him, of what it could mean to him, and his reputation by becoming, just being Roberto Clemente? Because he did, he did nothing differently in that series than I saw him do for the previous 16 or 17 or 18 years, whatever it was.
3: What I believe he had in mind, John, was that in 1960, he also had a World Series that was memorable. He had a hit in every game, the Pirates won. But the media got on him, because right after the Pirates won, he walked out the outskirts of uh, forge Field, to mingle with the fans, because he says, I owe everything to the fans. They're the ones who pay my way, my my, my my salary, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think he was really focused on having such a great series. But I do know, I do know that he wanted to have a great World Series. And Jose Pagan, the infielder for the Pirates who passed away in uh, Florida a few years ago, told me that as soon as they got to Baltimore... For the first meeting with the Orioles, he had Frank Oziac, who was a coach, hit baseball against defense in right right center field at Oriole Stadium in Baltimore, so he could learn quickly how the ball bounced uh, 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 on many occasions depending on where it hit. so he had the professionalism, he had the pride, but I don't think he went in there and saying "I'm going to be the MVP That was his destiny. He had a great series, but like you say, and like, for example, uh, oh, someone told me recently, it's, it's, it's a pity that people really found out how great a ball player he was, like you say, after the 1971 World Series.
1: I remember watching it and hearing Kurt Gowdy talk about it as if this guy just arrived on the scene, you know, that, in 1971, and nobody in Pittsburgh was seeing anything they hadn't seen for the entire time he was here. Um, what do you remember, Luis, about the time leading up to his 3,000th in 72?
3: Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. I recall during spring training, I spent with him like three days in his Pirate City, Bradenton, Florida room, and we spoke a lot. And he told me once, I have to get 3,000 this year because if not, I will not get it. Listen to what I'm telling you. A few months later... On a Sunday, I believe prior to the All Star Game in Atlanta, he told me the same thing, Luisito. He called me Luisito, a diminutive. I have to get three thousand hits this year. If not, I will not get it. I don't. Re- I don't know if he remembered. He told me that a few months before, but he yes, he wanted a three thousand hit. and uh, he was ready for it. I remember his ankles had been swelling up during the whole 1972 season. And he did have a degree of uh, of uh, doubt that he perhaps could not get it due to the swelling of his ankles, but he did get it September thirtieth, nineteen
1: 1972. Well, Sam Nover asked uh, Clemente what he planned to do when he was finished with baseball. Listen to what he said.
2: Tell you the truth, I never think about that. Uh, people always ask me, uh, how much money do you have? What going to happen to you? Are you secure? I don't worry about that, Sam. The only thing I worry is about being healthy. If I can live, if I can, uh, for example, uh, have my health, I could work. I don't care if I'm a janitor, I don't care if I drive a cab, as long as I have a decent job, I will work. I know like some of the fellows that they've been rich and they lost everything that they have and they killed themselves because of the money. So to me, I can be a person uh, like me today that I'm making pretty good money, but at the same time I live a life of a common fellow. I know not a big shot. If you go outside the ballpark, you're never going to see me uh, trying to put a show or try to call the attention for anybody because that's the way I am. I am a quiet fellow, and you see me with the same people all the time. If you want to be my friend, you got to prove to me that you are, want to be my friend, and you want going to... To, to be aware that I need lots of time when I play baseball, now in the winter time we can be as as long as you want to be with me in the winter time, we can spend as much time as you want to be, but in the summer time then we have to uh, cut it short so I will say that I don't worry about uh, what I'm going to do after uh, I still playing baseball, probably I will stay in some capacity in baseball and uh, but I say to you, I don't worry one way or the other, I just worry that i be healthy. i live live long enough to, to, to educate my sons and make them respect people. I respect them.
1: So uh, what do you think he would have done, Luis, if he had lived?
3: Well, I recall him saying something, but before, because I know time is short, before we finalize, Roberto was a clown with the people that he loved. And I could say so many things about Roberto that, that it make people crack up. But he only opened up to the people he loved. Now, as to his future, we did talk briefly about him wanting to stay in the game in some capacity. And I envisioned then that maybe Joel Brown would open up a spot for him within the Pittsburgh Pirate organization. But his main goal was that he wanted to become a chiropractor. As a matter of fact, down the hill from where his home still is in Puerto Rico, he had bought a home. And uh, he had contacted a chiropractor. I don't know. It wasn't Pittsburgh. It could have been Atlanta for him to start operating that chiropractor clinic. And Roberto did want to become a chiropractor after his days were over Too,
1: uh, He didn't get a chance to watch his three sons uh, grow up. But uh, listen to what he was hoping for them uh, back in 72 when he talked to Sam.
2: I, will, I yep. want them to enjoy life the way I enjoy life. I love people. And I love the minority people. I love people that they are not big shots. I like common people. I like workers. I like people that suffer. Because these people, they have a different approach of life, of the people that they really have everything in life, that sometimes they get bored. Because they have everything, and they don't know what suffering is in life. So I want my people, my kids to suffer. I want them to have what they're supposed to have, but I don't want them to be rich. I want them to be people like the normal people in my America, and the normal people in the whole, in the whole world.
1: So what, do you, what do you think of that, uh, Luis?
2: He was sincere about it. Uh, he wanted his
3: sons to suffer, too, like, like, like any normal human being. And that was what really drove him to keep on trying to be the best person that he could. You know, uh, I think of Roberto a lot, John. I think of Roberto a lot. Uh, I miss his friendship. I miss sitting down with him and talking about life and other subjects, not necessarily baseball. And, you know, he was a special person. His legacy to me reflects the good of his life, his joys, his sorrows. And in my mind, I think of him a lot. At times I see him through a corridor of time, and I know that he stands up spiritually with proper defiance and classic dignity. Those are words that I wrote in my bio on Roberto Clemente 30 years ago, I do remember, I never forget this, he lived 38 years, 4 months, and 13 days. And, um, you know, God just doesn't make them like Roberto Clemente anymore, at least from what I see within the panorama of baseball and other sports.
1: Uh, Luis can stick around, we're gonna when we come back, I, I want you I want you to talk about what sticks with you the most from December thirty first, nineteen seventy two. We'll do that when we come oh, back.
3: Oh that, that is very
0: clear. For eighteen years he gonna hit run and throw. But now to we think we lost him on a plane that had to go He to This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Finishing up with Luis Mayeral,
1: a baseball guy for 50 years, a biographer of uh, Roberto Clemente and a baseball historian. Luis, so what sticks with you the most from December 31st, 1972?
3: I saw Roberto for the last time around December 25th at High Beaton Stadium in San Juan. He was dressed in brown. Brown boots, brown pants, and brown guayabera. He was bending over, accommodating boxes of goods for Nicaraguan earthquake victims in the main corridor of the stadium. And I just gave him a tap on the butt like coaches do with players, rounding third, going home after a home run. He jumped, he looked at me, and he started laughing. We spoke for a little while, and he told me, I'll see you around New Year at his home. But unfortunately, that did not happen for the 31st of December, 72, at 9.15 p.m. The plane with goods for the victims in Nicaragua crashed about a mile and a half northeast of the Puerto Rico International Airport. On Friday, January 12, 1973, accompanied by Vera Clemente, Manny Sanguian, shortstop Jackie Hernandez, the U.S. Coast Guard Commander at the base in Old San Juan, informed us the following. Shifting of the improperly secured cargo on the plane could have crushed those on board at the moment of impact. Human remains, if there were any, could have been washed out into the Atlantic Ocean, and the worst, and he said it in nice ways, the remains of Roberto Clemente could have disappeared by the damage done by sharks. That's what I remember about my last uh, moments that I spent with Roberto Clemente. I,
1: I was down there and stood on that beach and saw the spot where the plane went in. Um, in David Marinus's book, he talked a lot about the plane they were on that night, and it shouldn't have ever left the ground. It was pretty damning uh, information about that plane.
3: That is correct. That plane had gone headfirst. I mean, it had landed, but it had gone headfirst into the ditch on the right side of the 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 runaway at the San Juan International Airport. Now, what hurts me to this day, I was instrumental in getting Roberto, the backing of Eastern Airlines, to help him out with the Clemente Sports City. But unfortunately, Eastern Airlines did not have a plane, which would have been in good condition, to fly the goods to Nicaragua, because they didn't have the inst- or the, the machinery at the Managua International Airport to help that plane do whatever it needed to do, you know. So that's why he took that that, that plane, and it's unfortunate, you know, but such is life. And uh, the legacy of Roberto, because of the great player he was, the great person he was, will live forever.
1: Now, you may not remember this, but you got me a free ride on an Eastern uh, flight from uh, San Juan to St. Croix when I was down there (laughs) 30 years ago, and I I I, still appreciate that.
3: No, no, no. I remember that, you know, I I helped so many people in my life without the interest of any remuneration, because we are alive to help others. So if I did that in silence, I'm happy, but I do remember you gave me competition when you were down there, because even though your mustache was red and (laughs) mine was black, hey, man, it could have been a tie. The two most beautiful mustaches in Puerto Rico for a few days. That's right. Yours, John, and mine. That's right. I want to let you hear
1: this last, uh, <laughs> last bite from Roberto when, when Sam Nover was wrapping up with him, what he had to say for the fans. Listen to this.
2: I have to say that the the, tribute, the biggest tribute to me have been paid by the Puerto Rican people and the Pittsburgh fans. Uh, I said before, and I'm not trying to uh, make a big deal out of this, but these people have been wonderful to me, and I think they have pushed me to accomplish what I have accomplished, because uh, by the way they treat me, I said that the only thing I had to do is to try to sacrifice myself more and try to pay them with the same tribute that they pay me.
1: Okay, Luis, uh, how much time we have left, there, Aaron? About a minute. I got I got less than a minute, and I got to hit a hard break. I really appreciate you doing this, Luis. I've been in uh, this business for a long time. Don't know if I've ever met a nicer guy. Thank you,
3: sir. May God be with you. I love Pittsburgh, the Pirates, and hey, I'm a happy person, happy to be with you. It's an honor.
1: Okay, well, I appreciate you being on, and uh, if you need any help pushing that retiring 21 back in Pittsburgh, you let me know. I'll see what I can do back here.
3: I will, and my respects to Mr. Reeder, who has the museum at the old fire station. He's done so much, contrary to Puerto Ricans.
1: Right. Thank you very much, Luis. See See you soon, I hope.
3: Yes, sir. God bless.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. There's nobody better to talk to about Roberto Clemente than Luis Meyerall, and I guess no better time to talk about Roberto Clemente than right now. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Tuesday.
0: John Stackerwald's show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.